Hi, welcome back to On The Brink podcast, where we showcase exciting research at the University of Calgary. Today, we talk about stress. Are you a graduate student? If so, you know what stress is. But do you know how it affects your brain? Can stress be good for you? Join us as we learn more. Hello, everybody. Uh, my name is Tyler Sule. I'll be your host today for On The Brain podcast. Today, I'm very excited. We have Spencer Lowen with us. He's a fourth year PhD student in the lab of JD Baines. Trevor, Spencer, sorry, uh, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. All right, so can we start off by uh, you giving us just a, a brief summary of what your research is about? Yeah, for sure. So in the Baines lab, we focus a lot on stress and specifically looking at how stress affects uh, brain circuits and even more specifically, how they affect uh, specific neurons in the brain. And so I'm looking at the corticotropin releasing hormone neurons, or CRH neurons, which are basically the controllers of the neuroendocrine stress response. And so these are the neurons that become active after stress. And I'm seeing how uh, different interactions, uh, different social interactions can actually influence how stress affects these neurons. Um, and so specifically, I'm looking at a social buffering effect where after stress, if, you, if mice interact with the partner that's unstressed, it'll actually reduce the effects of stress on these neurons. Okay, very interesting, yeah. and I'm excited to dive into that. Before we go there, could you tell us what is stress? Yeah, so essentially in a biological context, stress is any threat to homeostasis. And so homeostasis just being uh, the steady internal constancy of the internal environment. Um, and so any threat can be either real or perceived. And so it can be physical threat, it can be an emotional threat or a psychological threat. And so when the body senses this, it launches a response to uh, help reestablish homeostasis. And that's essentially the stress response. Okay. And is this transferable to human behavior? It is. Yeah, so a lot of most research or animal research obviously is transferable to some degree to humans uh, with stress. Especially, it does follow the same pathway. So both humans and rodents have CRH neurons. And the whole pathway to actually release stress hormones is the same in humans and rodents. And so it is definitely transferable in that respect. Right. So your research is looking at neurons that also exist in humans. So your findings are, are probably going to have some relevance to, to what happens yeah, in humans. That's, yeah. That's the hope anyway. Great. Yeah. Okay. So does stress, is stress always bad or are there any positive ways that it affects us? Yeah, so there is definitely some ways that stress can be positive. And so this term is usually called eustress. Uh, it was a term developed by a researcher in the 50s. And basically the idea is that a moderate level of stress can actually be beneficial, especially for performing an, uh, a certain activity hmm. um, or task where if you're moderately stressed, you have a good level of arousal. And so this is based on a model called the Yerkes-Dotson model, which is basically just a bell-shaped curve. And so in that middle of the curve, you have this moderate level of stress uh, where you get the optimum level of performance. Uh, but anything below that stress level is a low level of arousal, and so you get boredom or a lack of um, attention. Hmm. And then anything above that moderate level is kind of the, the negative impacts of stress where you can actually have fatigue or uh, burnout. Okay. So how does stress go from being... Uh, positive to being harmful to us? Yeah, so that's a good question. It's hard to say because any amount of stress is going to uh, cause the body to react the same way. It doesn't matter if it's a low level of stress or a high level of stress. It's going to activate the same neurons in the brain. It's going to cause the same hormones to be released. Mm. And so essentially with this kind of good stress or eustress, 
I think it's more about how a, an, in, an individual actually reacts to stress and how they're able to perceive and cope with stress. And so I think it's more about the individual themselves and their perception of stress as opposed to uh, the actual physiological response to different levels of stress. Mm, that's very interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah. So what is it about different people that causes them to react differently to stress? Uh, so we don't know too much about that, I don't think. At least I don't personally. I think it's just... Um, you know, people's resiliency, maybe they experience different things that allows them to cope better with stress. They have uh, better strategies than other people to deal with stress. Um, there's some evidence that early, re early life stress can influence how people react to stress later in life. Mm -hmm. And so that could also uh, play a role as well. But it's not totally understood um, how these differences arise, but uh, there is definitely evidence for it. Okay. So what happens to our brain and bodies when we uh, experience this um, stress for a long time? Yeah, so essentially um, with acute stress anyway, there's two systems that are activated in response to stress. Uh, the first one is a quick sympathetic response, which is uh, important for controlling the fight or flight response, which I'm sure a lot of people have at least heard of. Mm -hmm. And so this is basically the body uh, responding to stress in a way that allows them to either fight a threat or flee from a threat. And so this involves activation, again, of the sympathetic nervous system, uh, which causes the release of epinephrine or adrenaline from the adrenal glands. And then this adrenaline goes throughout the body to has, have certain effects uh, on the body uh, to help deal, again, with either fighting or fleeing. Um, and then the second system is the neuroendocrine response, which, again, is what uh, our lab focuses on, which is where uh, those CRH neurons in the brain are activated in response to stress. Um, they would cause the, the release of another hormone at the pituitary gland just at the base of the brain uh, called ACTH. And then that hormone travels through the blood to the adrenal glands. And that's where you get the release of the stress hormone, which in humans is cortisol. Uh, there's a similar hormone in rodents called corticosterone. And so that's when you get the other effects of stress, um, which are a little bit more uh, pronounced. And if you have uh, elevated levels of this uh, stress hormone, that's where you get the negative effects occurring uh, with prolonged stress. Okay. So there's the, the two responses. The first one is very quick yeah. and it tells you fight or flight. Yeah. And then the second one is what you're looking at, which is the more prolonged effect. Yes, yeah, exactly. Okay. And so can you tell me a, a little bit more about that? What have, what have you found? Yeah. So as I said, we focus a lot on the area in the brain of those CRH neurons that actually control this uh, neuroendocrine response. And so we actually record the electrical activity from single neurons in the brain, and specifically these CRH neurons. And so we found that after stress, uh, the activity onto these neurons actually become, becomes potentiated. And so there's a plasticity in these neurons that allows them to respond to a subsequent stressor more effectively. Um, and so this is called short-term potentiation, or STP. And we found that, so after stress, this STP occurs in these neurons. Uh, but in the presence of a unstressed partner, this STP can actually be reduced, uh, just showing that there's a social buffering effect of having a, a partner with you after stress. Okay. And can you tell me what you mean by potentiated? Yeah, so basically, um, when you record the electrical activity from a neuron, uh, you can see um, the connections that are actually attached to it are either excitatory or inhibitory. Mm -hmm. And so with excitatory connections, you get a, a, a response in the neuron itself um, just due to the changes in electrical activity. And then uh, in a potentiated neuron, you basically get a higher response um, to those excitatory inputs. And so that potentiates the response of the neuron to those inputs, and you get uh, a neuron that's able to respond uh, even faster. Okay. So through more use of this pathway, then you get better response. Essentially, yeah. Right. Okay, great. And so what you're looking at is it, it sounds like 
um, the effect of having different social partners yep. on this on this stress response. Exactly. Right. So how do you how do you study that? So first, uh, again, we stress the animals, obviously very important. Um, and so in the paradigm with the social interaction, immediately after stress, uh, we'll return the mouse to its home cage, that came that, so the cage that it came from, and it'll have a partner in the cage. And so right now we just look at the partner being a same-sex litter mate. And so it's either, if it's a male mouse, it's a brother of that mouse. If it's a female mouse, it's a sister of that mouse, just to reduce some of the variables between different uh, social interactions that can occur outside of the family members. And so these mice are returned to the home cage with its litter mate uh, for 30 minutes, and then we just let them interact, uh, do their own thing for 30 minutes. Then after that time period, and then we're able to actually record from a single neuron using a special technique called electrophysiology. Could you tell me in general what, what you found about that? Yeah. So as I mentioned kind of briefly, that we found that that potentiation in these neurons is reduced um, after this social interaction. I've also looked at how uh, this can influence memory as well. And so we know that um, after stress, uh, it can affect how you're able to retrieve memories. Usually it's reduced memory retrieval after stress since you're you know, more focused on what, what just happened as opposed to recalling a previous memory. Mm-hmm. And so I've shown that also after this 30-minute social interaction, uh, these animals are able to have uh, increased memory retrieval for a previous memory. Uh, just showing again that this social buffering is able to not only affect the activity of these neurons, but also um, translate to behaviors as well. Okay. So if you have social interaction after being stressed, then the the stressed mouse is um, less stressed in the long term. Is that correct? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Right. And then they're also able to recall memories better than if they were just by themselves after the stress. Exactly. That's very interesting. On an unrelated note, you've almost completed your PhD and you're graduating soon. Congratulations on that. Thank you. So do you have any... any advice for other graduate students who are just starting out and what would you tell them about uh, the journey that they're about to undergo? <laughs> so my advice would be to uh, find ways to reduce stress. No, I honestly though <laughs> I think it's important to have a good work-life balance uh, during a PhD especially. Obviously you're going to be spending a lot of time in the lab, a lot of time outside of the lab doing readings and writing. Uh, just finding hobbies that you enjoy or continuing doing the hobbies that you already have before entering grad school I think is very important. I think trainees and even supervisors themselves are realizing how important it is to have a, a good work, work-life balance. And so uh, I think just having that is very important, uh, especially with the pandemic. I think more people are realizing it's good to take time off uh, from, the, from the lab and from research just, to, just for yourself. So that'd be my advice. Wise words. I'll, <laughs> I'll definitely try to keep that in mind. And uh, if I can reduce stress as well, then that's a, just an added bonus. There you go. 